So today is the 27th day of the Omer. For those of you who didn't count it yet, you can count along with me. Hayom Shivim the Esrim Yom Shehem Shlosha Shavuot Vishisha Yamim La Omer. So as many of you know, and this is a little bit of a review, but I think it's always important to go back to the foundational ideas. <clears throat> as many of you know, we are in the period between Pesach and Shavuot. There are 49 days. No coincidence, because as we know, we're told that the Jewish people, when they were in Mitzrayim in Egypt, they had fallen to the 49th level of Tumah, of spiritual impurity, they were almost unidentifiable anymore <clears throat> in terms of their um, <clears throat> beliefs. They were idol worshipers like the Egyptians. And of course, we're all taught that the one thing, the three things that distinguished them were their Jewish names, the fact that they still spoke the language from the Altaheim, Lashon HaKodesh, right? And they um, <clears throat> they still had a distinguished type of dress. But of course, being slaves for 210 years, oh, my voice. <clears throat> had, its <clears throat> had its effect on them. And the idea is that because we know that we don't just commemorate Jewish holidays. It's not that they happened thousands of years ago and we're just talking about ancient history, but rather the Jewish view of the calendar year is that every year there are spiritual energies that are released in the world at this time because of the events that happened then. So we just got out of Egypt, all of us, whatever Egypt is for each one of us, whatever are our limitations, those things that we're enslaved to, those things that hold us back in life, <clears throat> very much a product of the thoughts that we think, which create our reality. And we have this opportunity at this time of year to climb out of the muck, if you like. And every day we're counting these 49 days towards Shavuot, the day of our freedom, the day when we got the Torah, right? And with each day that we count, it's like we're leaving the muck and climbing up one level. <clears throat> and of course, this is a time of tremendous character growth and development. We know that this chart right here of the Sfirot has something to do with this time period. And... These seven weeks are actually corresponding to this part of the Sfirot, Chesed. The first week is Chesed. And each of these character traits, of course, correspond to seven shepherds, the seven people, the seven um, foundational patriarchs, or more than the, just the patriarchs, who um, are our guiding lights, so to speak for how to acquire these different midot, these different character traits. So Avram, of course, was is chesed. He is the first week of the Sphero. 
and Yitzchak is Gevura, right? And these are kind of like our shoulders. And then the heart here is Tiferet, which is Yaakov, where Chesed and Gevura unite in a proper balance. Tiferet is always beauty, symmetry, balance, right? Then we have Netzach. That's where we are today. These sort of imply the hip bones of a human being. The part of us that allows the top half of us to go in, to go forward, to move forward, to be able to move in the world, to have a direction. These are more emotional and these are, as much as they're also emotional attributes, they represent actualizing the emotions in the world. So Netzach, which is the week that we're in today and the one that I want to focus on, <clears throat> which is, uh, I believe, Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov, Moshe, corresponds to Moshe, is the Mida of endurance. So before we begin talking about that Mida and applying it to some of the famous personalities that are prominent during this time of year, specifically Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, whose death we celebrate on Lagba Omer with bonfires and right um, trips to Maron, and of course the great light that came into the world through the Zohar, the Kabbalistic teachings of the Torah. Um, we're going to focus on on those people. And we're also going to talk about what endurance is and how we can apply it in our own lives. Just a beautiful idea that I heard uh, listening to a recording is we have a saying, we have a pasuk actually at the beginning of Bereshi, right? Genesis, where God is creating human beings and he says, Na'aseh Adam, a famous line, let us make man. And of course, the rabbis ask the question, what do you mean, let us make man? Who is God talking to, right? And of course, there are different opinions. Some say he's talking to the angels, and this is showing his humility because he's including the angels to, to, to advise him in the making of man. Others say he's talking to the universe that he created, that before man was created, that together we're going to create man who's a microcosm of the universe. But Rabbi Avram Tversky, who died unfortunately last year and was extremely prolific and a Hasidic Jew, his neshama should have an aliyah, he gave a Hasidic abort on this. He said, Na'ase Adam is God speaking to the human being. And he's saying, let us make man. Let you and me together make you, create you make you into something better than just the raw material as we speak about all the time, the homer. And the interesting thing about this is what, what this is teaching is that if you think about it, we're the only creation that is involved in our own creation. We're the only creation that is constantly yearning to improve, to get better, to be better, to know more to develop our character. And it's interesting that, that this is just the idea that God was talking to human beings. 
that together we're going to make man, right? And obviously our best bet at being able to become and actualize the full potential of who we are is, of course, with Hashem's help and having Hashem as a partner. And the Torah, of course, is our guide for how to become the most actualized human being that we can possibly be while in a physical body. And of course, that can only happen when we connect to Hashem and do his mitzvot. <clears throat> so, of course, there's a popular saying at this time that we shouldn't just be counting the days, but we should be making the days count. So I don't know about you. I'm finding it very difficult with the rain in Toronto. That is endless. I'm starting to wonder how people in England live. And I guess I'm, you know, saying, hmm, I guess I'm getting a taste of what it would be like to live in England. I think on the radio, which I don't listen to often, they said, don't put your umbrella, keep your umbrella up for the next five days or something um, and plan to take it everywhere with you. But I think Shabbat is going to be beautiful. So Mir Tashem will hold on, will endure and will use this Mida of endurance, which is in the spotlight this week. No coincidences. Right. I think we had some hail yesterday or was that the day before? Um, so just holding on. My husband said he heard this Canadian joke that there's four seasons, you know, spring, winter, fall and disappointment. So, you know, <laughs> this year we can relate to that. But uh, we're holding on. And of course, we never give up. And that's what I want to focus on today. Of course, with the rain, sometimes it's not easy to feel isolated to feel sad, to go inward, and uh, to be crabby. And so we have to continue to push forward and try to be good. And who do we have? We have great role models for this. We have Rabbi Akiva. So let's talk a little bit. Actually, you know what, before I go there, let me just give you an, a de definition of endurance, of what is called netzach, or is often translated as victory, right? There's a certain victory implied in being able to endure. So even if you don't win the race, the fact that you run it and you get up and you start again and you try again, that's really what we're talking about. The famous line that a tzaddik can fall seven times, right? But he gets up. And that's what makes all of us capable of being great. Not that we never fail, but that we fail and get up again. So endurance and ambition is a combination of determination and tenacity. It is a balance of patience, persistence, and guts. Endurance is also being reliable and accountable, which establishes security and commitment. Without endurance, any good endeavor or intention has no chance of success. Okay, I'll read a little bit more. Endurance means to be alive, to be driven by what counts. It's the readiness to fight for what you believe in, to go all the way. Without such commitment, any undertaking remains flat and empty. It is an energy which comes from within and stops at nothing to achieve its goals. And of course, this has to be examined to make sure that it's a holy type of endurance. And... Uh, if we have time, we'll talk about the difference between endurance and being stubborn, which is, would be the negative aspect of endurance. Um, 
Okay, so just uh, just to talk about that. Okay, so the first person that I want to explore this Mita with, which is very easy to, is of course the famous Rabbi Akiva. Now I'm sure you all know the story about Rabbi Akiva. He was the son of converts. And until he was 40 years old, he was an ignorant shepherd who actually hated the religious Jews and specifically were told the Torah scholars. The Gemara goes so far as to say when he'd see them, he'd want to bite them, which is an interesting uh, way of, of describing his hatred of them. And of course, the famous story that one day he's out shepherding his flock and he sees a drop of water falling and it's hitting this very hard stone. And he sees that that little drop of water day after day has created this hole in the stone. And he says to himself, if this little drop of water could penetrate this hard rock, then it must be that the Torah, which is compared to water, if I would begin to study it, could penetrate my heart, which has been like stone, and bring me back to Torah. And there's much more about him, but this was his uh, tshuva moment, his shift, bless you, Aviva. And, uh, and this is when he began to learn and to develop himself. And we're told that he was so incredibly great that he actually had 24,000 students that he taught. And of course, the puzzle of it all is that these 24,000 students end up dying in a plague between the top days of Pesach and Shavuot. And the plague stops only after everyone is gone and on Lagba Omer. And this is why, by the way, we have certain customs like not having weddings during this time period, not taking haircuts, etc., uh, not listening to music, because this time period between Pesach and the 33rd day of the Omer is a time of mourning the 24,000 students who died. It also, by the way, ends up having been a horrific time for the Jewish people during these crusades, where the crusaders went through Europe on their way to Jerusalem and killed the infidels among them and prominently the Jews along the path. And this happened at the same time between Pesach and Shavuot during this time period that the students of Rabbi Akiva died. And of course, we're told that the reason for their death, which is extremely difficult to understand, is that they didn't give each other kavod. They didn't have respect for each other. They didn't honor each other sufficiently. And just to review, of course, when we're talking about great people, Hashem judges them, like the strand of a hair. In other words, what is considered not honoring or respecting each other for them is under a magnifying glass. And the consequences, the greater you are, the, far, the farther you fall, right? This is a Jewish principle as well, even with great tzaddikim, that their behaviors are judged much more stringently than ours. And I always tell the story that my kids, when they were little, would say to me, well, why would I want to be great? You know, why would I want to be close to Hashem? You know, he's going to judge me. And of course, I'd say, well, you know, there's perks on the other side, which is being close to Hashem. You are probably, you know, joyous and joyful and, and feeling the pleasure of closeness to Hashem. 
that is greater than all other pleasures in the world that we could possibly attain. So, you know, there's always this that balances that. Anyway, of course, Rabbi Akiva was famous for the maxim, for summing up the entire Torah with the words, that you need to love your fellow Jew, your fellow person, specifically your fellow Jew, start with them and you'll be doing good. You'll be doing, you'll have accomplished a lot. It's almost easier to love people outside your family, right? Than the ones in your family. So Rabbi Akiva says you have to love your fellow Jew the way you love yourself. And of course, there's so much to that. We can't really love other people until we truly love ourselves. That could take a long lifetime to learn. And, um, <clears throat> and here we have the students of the rabbi who taught this as this is the entire Torah. Right? Everything is uh, category, categorized under this. This is the goal of the Torah, or at least one of the main goals. And obviously, 24,000 students die because they don't live up to it. Now, where does endurance and resilience come in here? Well, Rabbi Akiva could have said to himself, that's it, I quit. You know, I'm obviously not meant to be a Rosh Hashiva. I obviously didn't get my message across. 24,000 students, gone, all dying. Most of us would say, that's it, I quit. I, I tried and it didn't work. But this is not what Rabbi Akiva did. The Talmud tells us when Rabbi Akiva's students died and the world was desolate, desolate meaning there was no Torah in it and obviously no reason for the world to continue, he got up and he went to the south of Eretz Yisrael and he started over again. Now, the reason that it says, and I just asked my son this, um, that he went to the south of Eretz Yisrael is because there were other great Torah scholars in the world that were not his students his of his 24,000. And so he moved to where they were. And of course, the one that we're going to focus on today, the famous of the five, that he sort of, sort of starts over again with spreading Torah and teaching Torah and being their guide. The famous one that plays into this time period is, of course, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who ends up becoming the author of the Zohar, the mystical writings of the Torah. Okay. By the way, Rabbi Akiva was considered so great. I, I, I think there's an opinion that he was a reincarnation of Moshe. Because as much as Moshe understood the entire Torah, the way that they describe Rabbi Akiva's understanding of the Torah is that not only did he understand the entire Torah like Moshe, but he even could uh, interpret the crowns that are on top of certain letters in the Torah. He could explain them. So this is just to teach us that Rabbi Akiva was really something incredibly Great, something incredibly big. So someone incredibly big. So the the trait that Rabbi Akiva demonstrates for us, which really goes along with endurance, and I think is, is part of endurance, is resilience, right? What we spoke about, the ability to start over, the ability to say, oh my gosh, I failed, and I failed big time. 
And that could be, you know, we're working on ourselves and then we have a temper tantrum, you know, or we become very small minded or we speak Russian Hara or we're greedy. We can't part with that money. And we slip back into our old habits and our old ways or our, you know, our natural default mode. And we want to just say, ah, oh, forget it, I'll never change. Or the people around us say, ah, oh, forget it, you'll never change. But we can't give in to that. And Rabbi Akiva is our mod a model for this. A little bit more about Rabbi Kiva and, Kiva and his incredible ability, ability to be able to evaluate the worst of situations and believe that all is not lost is the famous story in the Gemara in Makot 24a that talks about how several of the Tanaim, Tanaim were the rabbis that existed at the same time as Rabbi Kiva, these five among them, were walking near the area that was once the Holy of Holies and there was total destruction surrounding them. When they saw a fox emerge from the site of the Holy of Holies, they all started to cry, except for Rabbi Akiva, who started to laugh. And they turned to him and said, what are you laughing about? And Rabbi Akiva, and they, they pointed out this prophecy that when the temple is destroyed, there will be foxes roaming around the area of the destruction. And Rabbi Akiva says, if the prophecy which predicted the destruction came true literally, then the prophecy which predicted the redemption will also come true literally. So this was the spin that Rabbi Akiva put on it. And of course, this is the ability of somebody who is resilient and who develops this mida of endurance never giving up hope. As Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said, I don't know if I have it here. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, Hashem helped me find the page. Trust is, there, is the certainty that there is sense to God's ways, even when we are denied access to those ways. Hope, emuna, all of these things help a person become resilient and get up again. Trusting in Hashem, bitachon, keeps us going. And this is what Rabbi Akiva showed us. One more story about Rabbi Akiva that I think is absolutely incredible is that even at his death, at his moment of death, and we know that he was one of the 10 martyrs that we read about on Yom Kippur, who died cruelly by the hands of the Romans in an extremely cruel way. I think his flesh was combed with iron metal combs. And the point of the story is as he was dying, his students who were hovering around, of course, he was being killed for the crime of teaching Torah. He says to his students famously, you know, all my life, I fulfilled all of the mitzvot, but there was one mitzvah that I never was able to fulfill. Every day in the Shema Yisrael, we say, we have to love Hashem b'chol levavacha, u'v'chol nafshecha, u'v'chol me'odecha, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, 
and of course, with all of our possessions to use everything that we have materially to as a means to connect us to Hashem, right? The world around us, nature, the physical world, the physical pleasures, all of them should point us in the direction of Hashem who created all of it and is imbued and infused in all of it. And he's there. We just have to look and search and want to find him. And then it's so clear to us, nature becomes alive and enlivened by the one behind it, the creator behind it. It becomes even more meaningful than just a beautiful sunset or a beautiful flower. But the fact that Hashem created it, Elohim, the name of God that denotes the hiding God, the one behind nature, the one who creates nature. Elohim, by the way, the name of God and the word Ateva, nature, are the same numero numerological equivalent. They both equal 84, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Rabbi Akiva says, now I finally have the opportunity to do the one mitzvah I haven't done, which is to give up my life, b'chol nafshecha, for that what I lived for, right? As Rabbi Noah Weinberg famously coined the phrase, know what you would die for and then live for it. Whatever you give up your life for, that's what you should be living for. And certainly Rabbi Akiva was a very uh, clear example of this ability. So he said, now I finally have the opportunity. Can you imagine the clarity and again, the ability to endure at the moment of being tortured, to have the state of mind to say, I'm now about to do the mitzvah that I always wanted to do and hope to do. And now I can go to my maker, my creator in perfection. So this was Rabbi Akiva. And of course, at the core of all of it is this motto, kamocha, which the Baal Shem Tov interprets the word kamocha as when a person gets up in the mirror that you should love someone like you love yourself. He says, when a person gets up in the morning it looks at, and looks at himself in the mirror, he thinks, I'm basically a good person. I have my faults and foibles. I'm not perfect, but I am more good than bad. This, the Baal Shem Tov says, is how we must evaluate our neighbor. He's basically good. I'm going to overlook his faults. The key to resilience and endurance, Rabbi Akiva teaches us, which is the fundamental rule of all Torah, is to always try to see the glass as half full when it comes to the situations around us, but also with the people in our lives that we're constantly judging, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to see beyond the behavior and recognize that it's just a blip on the radar screen, or maybe I didn't understand it, or maybe it's a test, but this person is basically good. So this is part of endurance, this is part of the nida of netzach, of being able to <clears throat> see the good because that, is what gives us resilience and hope and endurance. So as we go on, of course, we learn about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was a student of Rabbi Akiva, and a little bit about his background. 
Of course, he's living during the times of the Romans, and he hides out in a cave with his son, and he stays there for 12 years, and he and his son dig a hole in the cave. They only have one set of clothing, so they take it off and save it for Shabbat, and with their heads coming from the hole that they've dug, they learn together. And Hashem reveals to them all the secrets of the Torah, all of the mystical aspects of the Torah, the inner Torah, as it's called. And for 12 years, they do this. They survive with a miraculous stream of water that flows by the cave in a carob tree. And after 12 years, they emerge from the cave. But what happens is when they emerge from the cave, they see a man, a simple man plowing and sowing, and they burn up everything with their eyes. <clears throat> because obviously they are so intense and so above this world and they can't understand the mundanity, the, the concept of the simple person going about his mundane tasks. And because of this, Hashem sends them back into the cave for 12 months because obviously they haven't learned what Rabbi Akiva taught that you have to love your fellow person, your fellow Jew, like you love yourself, that they have to learn the specialness and essential need for every Jew and his way of serving Hashem. So <clears throat> there's lots of beautiful ideas about this. First of all, What did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son, Rabbi Elazar, have to learn? They had to learn to see the beauty in every single Jew. And of course, there's a Gemara that tells us that when they came out 12 months later, they see a Jew on Erev Shabbat, a simple Jew who's running with two um, bundles of besamim, of spices for the Havdalah, home for Shabbat. And this time when they see this, they recognize that every Jew serves God in his way, in his tamimut, tamimut, in his pure way, on his level. And of course, they realize he has two bundles, one for Shamor, one for Zachor, the two ways that we, that we keep Shabbat, right? We guard and the Shabbat and we remember the Shabbat all through the week. And anyway... They learned the lesson of Rabbi Akiva, which is that every Jew is as full of mitzvot as a pomegranate is full of seeds. And there are all kinds of allusions to this in the day that Lagba Omer comes upon us. First of all, the word, the, the letter Lag, the, the letters Lamed Gimel, just simply mean Lamed is th 30 and Gimel is 3. So Lamed Gimel means the 33rd day of the Omer. Now, if you reverse those letters, you get the word Gal, which comes from the word Megillah, to reveal. What did Rabbi Shimon and his son do? They revealed the mystical teachings of the Zohar into the world. We light bonfires because normally on a death 
on a yurt site. You know, people fast, people light candles. It's a morning day. But on the day that Rabbi Shimon dies, it's a day of celebration. It's a day of bonfires. It's a day of celebrating the fact that they were, it's a day of intense joy. But what it's really celebrating is the spark in every single Jew that Rabbi, Akib, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son needed to uncover. It wasn't good enough that they were great Torah scholars, that they were Zoha to reveal this incredible, these incredible teachings. They had to learn how to see the beauty in every single Jew. Interestingly, the day of Lagba Omer always falls out on the same day of the week as Purim. Right? On Purim, we read Megillat Esther. Again, the shorish of that word, the root is gal, to reveal. Megillat Esther little, literally means to reveal that which is hidden. So part of our job on these days and today, and of course, Lagba Omer, is to reveal the good that's hidden in other people. To bring it out, to see it, to shine, as Rebetzin Weinberg, her Neshama should have, and Aliyah said, rays of light to others, because then it comes back to you. If you sort of feel like, you know, beam, you have this beam of light that you can beam out to other people, it's going to come back to you. It's going to bounce back to you. And that's what we're trying to do beautifully. The seven weeks that we're in now also correspond to the seven special fruits of Eretz Yisrael, right? That are listed in the Torah, the dates, wheat, figs, olives, pomegranates, barley, um, grapes, I said that. Anyway, the point of this is, is that the week that Lugba Omer falls in corresponds to the Rimon, the pomegranate. Is it a coincidence that where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is buried, that everybody takes a pilgrimage to, is called Meron, right outside of Tveria, right near Tzfat. The mountain is called Meron, same letters as the word Rimon. Because what did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai need to learn and teach us all? Again, that we have to put the physical and the spiritual together. That it's not enough to be spiritual and lift off from this world. But the work of spirituality includes not just our relationship to the Torah, but our relationship to other people. Of course, we have to learn Torah and we have to know God's mind and what his instructions are for us. But if that doesn't include seeing the good in others, then it isn't worth anything then go back in the cave and learn this. That you're not better, you're not superior. Don't become arrogant from the knowledge that you know and the closeness that you have with Hashem because of your efforts. Recognize the good and the mitzvot that are as numerous in every Jew, even the most simple Jew, like the pomegranate. And so this is the great teaching that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Rabbi Akiva student also teaches us. Beautiful idea too is here. It says, why are we so happy about the day he passed away? And there's a question in the uh, Gemara about the city of Tiberia, Tiberius in English. 
where he's buried close to. And they ask, is Tiberia called Rekes or Tiberia? The word Rekes comes from the word rake, which means empty. And they say, they're asking this really to, to teach a, a, a profound lesson on the same topic. Rekes means even the empty people among you are full of mitzvos, like a pomegranate. Even the empty Jews of Tiberia, of Tiberias at that time, were full of mitzvahs like pomegranate. And you can read the word in Hebrew, Tiberia, as the word tov, iria. Tov, of course, means good. And, and iria means eyes. It says, why is this place called Tiberia? Because its eyes are good, meaning the people in it who live here have an ayin tova, a good eye. They know how to look at people in a good light. Of course, the Rimon, the peel of the Rimon is bitter. If you only look at externals, if you only look at the Hitsonius of a person, and you don't think more deeply, right? And less superficially, you realize maybe it's only chapter two. Maybe you don't know the whole story. Maybe you don't know where they started from and how far they've moved, right? Or what they were up against or their struggles. Perhaps you're not exercising the mitzvos of judging others favorably, of giving people the benefit of the doubt the way that you would do for yourself or those people that you admire, maybe in your circle too, that are easier to forgive and to find the benefit for, to find the excuse for, right? Then you are on the outside of the Rimon. You just see the bitterness, the peel. It takes work to get inside and see the internality of things, the sweet and the juicy seeds that are within. And that's what Shimon Bar Yochai was able to do. He could see the greatness in every single person. He could see that every Jew has the potential, if he isn't already actualizing it, to be full of mitzvot. So that's our lesson for today, ladies. I just wanted to highlight that. I just, you know what, I'll show you one more thing, which I think is fascinating. And that's the idea that from the Rijnitzer Rav. And this is what we learn also that I mentioned a little bit of, uh, that Torah learning is not meant to make us close-minded. It's not meant to make us feel superior to others and judgmental. And the reason that they're ordered back into the cave is because they, they have to reach the goal of learning, which is to make you humble, to make you love other people. And the Rijnitzer Rebbe says that we must learn the balance of how to put the spiritual and the physical world together, because that's what it means to be a Jew. And he actually divides the physical and spiritual activities into two groups. So the first group is the physical activities that human beings are busy with. 
So rechitza, the top one means washing, right? Bathing, taking care of your body. These are all the physical things that we need to do to survive. Achila, eating. Shtia, food, drinking. And bia is intimate relations. And if you notice, these all have the first two letters of Hashem's name, his ineffable name that we don't say, the yud and the hey. And then the Rizhnitzer Rebbe says, and of course, in spiritual matters, and these, this is his list of spiritual matters, Torah, learning Torah, avoda, davening, praying, something that Jews do three times a day to stay connected, to deepen the relationship between the God within them and the God outside of them, right? Mitzvah, of course, that's what connects us to Hashem in this world as a physical body using our bodies to express our souls. Mikvah and tahora, which means purity. So as you can see, all these words, all these activities have the last two letters of Hashem's name, Vav and He, which complete the, the full name, yud He vav and He, God's ineffable name, which we can't, we don't say because we can't even fathom what it means. We know it's an acronym of that he was, he is, and he will always be. And the concept that he's above time, past, present, and future. And that he is above time and he sees everything in one moment. That's part of what makes us very different and living in a very different place than Hashem does and helps us to understand how much above he is and our understanding. But of course, we have the Torah that gives us the ability to connect, to understand what he wants from us and to understand how to actualize ourselves in the most um, possible, potent way while we're in this world. So thanks for joining me. Ladies, and if there's any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. And uh, have a wonderful day and um, keep on counting and make the days count.